Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, it's uh, all this COVID and stuff. Everybody's walking their house. Can't really go out to eat that much. Maybe can, but like fair places not open. Fair restaurant that are closed on your when you're free and working if you are working. Maybe you want to order some food from your favorite restaurant. That's where our sponsor for this episode, restaurant.com, comes in. Today's episode is brought to you by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100. Never expire, costs you a fraction of face value. Dinner has never been easier with Restaurant.com. Used for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off. That's half off. Their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com forward slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. That's half off, people. Get I would do it. Or you get half off deals nowadays. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. And you're listening to the Monster Legend Podcast. Monster Legend Podcast. In the dark of the night, comes a Twisted words in your mind, darkish goals And the whispers in dreams Blow a dark haunting voice, buzz it through you Telling tales, young and old, I hope that you'll enjoy the show Welcome back to Monster Legend Podcast I'm your host, Tanner Doing it solo today Today, this week, we're in Newfoundland. So Newfoundland. Province of Canada. Bring this up. Newfoundland was originally settled by Indians and Inuit or Eskimos. The first Europeans to step foot on Newfoundland were the Vikings. However, the island's official discovery by Europeans was in 1497 by John Cabot, who claimed it for England. Shortly thereafter, fishermen from England, Spain, Portugal, 
and France began to visit the Grand Banks during the summer months on a regular basis. During the 17th and 18th centuries, there were numerous different settlements established on the Newfoundland coast, chiefly by the English and French. Some of them, such as Cupid's and Fairyland, were firmly planned. Others were composed of overwintering fishermen and developed spontaneously. It was not, however, until the second half of the 18th century that a considerable population came to live permanently in Newfoundland. France, as well as England, asked Russians to rule the new land with its unknown riches. Sir Humphrey Gilbert claimed Newfoundland for England in 1583. France contested England's claims and Newfoundland changed hands several times. But in 1763, the Treaty of Paris definitely awarded Newfoundland and Labrador where the France had established a trading post to Great Britain. Nevertheless, France retained the fishing rights on the northwest coast of Newfoundland that had been granted by the Peace of Utrecht Yerth- uh, in 1713 and was also awarded St. Pierre's and Miskelion in 1783. The French shore was redefined to, to include the entire western coast. In the early 19th century, the expansion of the fishing industry in Newfoundland, together with the economic depression in Europe, led to increased immigration from Europe, particularly Ireland. Hereby, Newfoundland became an island with a mixture of Scottish, French, English, and Irish influences. In 1949, Newfoundland voted to join Canada. What? It's crazy. So, a lot of strange of hands, a lot of fishing. Which brings us to our next, uh, our first monster. Cressy. In Canadian folklore, Cressy is a nickname given to an eel-like mo- monster said to reside in Crescent Lake, Roberts Arm, Newfoundland, and Rebeldor, Canada. The name is a portmanteau of Crescent Lake and Nessie, a nickname given to the Loch Ness monster. The monster has been described as resembling a large dark brown eel around 15 feet in length, the long sleek body and as long and looking long and shiny and having a fish-like head. Claims of Cressy being sighted began in the 1950s and continue to this present day. Though there are reported sightings of Cressy as early as the 1950s, some have linked the legends to early indigenous legends of the Woodham Hoot or Pond Devil or Hoot to a day, swimming devil, swimming demon. However, other cautions that this attribution has been suddenly been copied from source to source without any verification of its connection to Cressy or the area of Newfoundland and Labrador in which Cressy is found. There has been no photographs of Cressy and all information relies on local oral history. According to the local folklore, an elderly resident of Robert's Arm known as Grandmother Anthony, was startled while berry-picking by a giant serpent in the lake. In one of the earliest dated sightings in the 1950s, two woodsmen were on the shore of the lake when they noticed an upturned boat, and fearing for its occupants, they hurried towards it. However, as they approached, the boat turned out to be something large and slick which slipped below the waters of the lake. A local resident for a slim black shape rise five feet from a patch of churning water before sinking out of sight in early spring 1990. 
on July 9, 1991, Fred Parsons and his new and his wife reported seeing a large snake-like creature swimming in Crescent Lake. He described it as a long, sleek body without a significantly large head, which was laying level with the water. In September of the same year, a resident of Robert's arm returning to town when he noticed a disturbance on the surface of the lake. As he watched the object drop beneath the surface, and then rose again. He described it as a black 15-foot lawn, lawn-shaped pitching forward in a rolling motion, much as a whale does when it has with no sign of a fin. It sank out of sight and did not reappear. There were several sightings in 1995, and a summer student crew working on the boardwalk along the lake spotted the monster in Towson. During the summer of 2003, several town residents say they saw the creature swimming after at least a year with no reports, which had led some residents to speculate whether Cressy had died. In these reports, Cressy was said to resemble a snake-like creature with a fish-like head. A passenger in a passing car shrieked at the driver as he looked down, out towards the town, towards the lake, and watched as the monster surfaced. Its skin, shiny and slick, under the summer skin, under summer sun. Both watched water pour from the monster's gaping mouth. It was about 20 feet in length and swam silently across the top of the lake before diving down to its cool depths once more. There are other reports divers from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police had have originally described seeing giant eels as thick as a man's thigh in the lake while investigating a drowning death. According to reports, scuba divers conducting an underwater search for the body of a downed pilot in the mid-80s, found themselves surrounded by a school of vicious gigantic eels, though they were able to escape, leading some to believe that perhaps these eels were of Cressy's babies. In the winter, large holes often appear in the ice that cover Crescent Lake, leading some to speculate that the holes were created not by something falling into the lake, but by something bursting through the ice. According to skeptics, there are several natural occurrences that can explain Cressy sightings. Giant eels have touted as one of the most likely candidates. Several Robert's Arm residents offer as evidence of the eel, of the eel hypothesis previous sightings of giant eels and a high number of eels appearing in eel traps in the lake. An article from 1993 called Have You Seen Cressy? Author R.A. Bragg suggests that Eels do not stop growing during their lifetime. Perhaps this is the cause of Cressy's size. Others, such as uh, skeptical investigator Joe Nickel, speculate that perhaps the dark-colored northern river otter is responsible. He claims the river otter. Swim both underwater and at the surface. When it or it wakes, it can make it appear much longer. I move in a undulating, rising, and falling manner. In addition, multiple otters swimming in a, lar- a line can give the effect of a single giant serpentine creature slithering with an up and down movement through the water. So, others suggest that Cressy is not a living creature at all, but instead a large log. Stupid. So what is, what is this, what's up with the damn log apophysis? I don't get that. Bottom of the Crescent Lake is reported uh, to be covered in wooden logs from when logging took place in the community. For decades, Crescent Lake was used to 
transport more than half a million cords of pulp wood that was harvested from the surrounding areas and shipped to paper mills. Some speculate that the bubbles of gas from decomposing wood lift these logs to the surface of the lake. In 1991, the town of Roberts Arm erected a statue of Cressy at the entrance of the community, along with a scoreboard which describes the alleged sightings. This statue greets tourists to the area and depicted its distinctively dragon-like features, including green scales, rows of plates along its back, and fearsome teeth. Statue and signs have been part of a deliberate attempt by the community to promote the monster in hopes of boosting tourism and the local economy. In 1992, Robert's Arm was a principal supply and service center for communities on several nearby islands. However, the town's major source of employment, cutting pulpwood for local contractors, was in crisis. After having been in decline for some years, it was also hoped that the community would benefit from efforts to promote terrorism along the Boothook Trail. Perhaps this hope is strengthened by the old local tradition that a monster named Cressy inhabits Crescent Lake. A local gas station is named Cressy's Gas Bar and Supplies. A 2012 paper article promoting local hiking spots used the monster potential uh, attraction for hikers. The area is blazing with color in the fall, and the birches are absent and maples are changing color. If you're lucky, maybe you will even catch a glimpse of the lake monster that lurks beneath the waters of Crescent Lake. Cressy has uh, featured in several of Robert Arms' uh, Come Home Year celebrations. 1995 Come Home Year commemorative book includes uh, several poems which refers to Cressy, including the passage by Jim Payne. I suppose you've heard of Cressy, the monster in the lake. If you get too handy, she'll give her tail a shake. She'll set you, she'll set you boat of rockin'. And you won't believe your eyes. And people will make fun of you and say you're telling lies. In May 2008, the local media reported that a production company for Montreal will travel to Robert's Arm to produce a show for his for the History Channel. On September, on 17th of September 2008. History Channel's Monster Quest broadcast an episode called Lake Monsters of the North, which focused on the legends of the monster eels in the lake. In October 2019, a group exhibition titled Crafted Beasts opened at the Craft Castle of Newell NL Gallery in St. John's, which examined provincial, indigenous, and Western European folklore, and which started from the desire to see the transformation of traditional beliefs, customs, and stories and passed through the word of the mouth to a physical object, the show included a sculpture inspired by the tales of the lake monster. For Cressy, Michael Hodrick combined forged metal and found bone to build a spooky sculpture one certainly would not want to encounter in the deep, dark waters. So that's Cressy. Ooh. Hey guys, this is Heather and Kristen, the hosts of Sinister Sweethearts podcast, and we want to share with you a little bit about our show. If you're looking for fun banter between old college sweetmates about all things paranormal, sinister, weird, and generally creepy, check out our podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Are you looking for a new adventure? Did you ever want to visit the city where all your nightmares reside? Well, you're in luck. 
Join us, your tour guides, Christine and Jen, to visit Nopeville, where you will be personally escorted on an all-inclusive trip through the city and see all possibilities of terror and fright. You'll see all sorts of things on your tours, including, but definitely not limited to, the paranormal, true crime, the supernatural, and more. If you're into all that and enjoy a little dark humor, book your tour today and nope right along with us. Check us out on our website at nopevillepodcast.com to see where you can listen to Nopeville today. So, speaking of, like, monsters and stuff. So, also, no, it's all, also in Newfoundland? Fairies. The Fae. It's an article from 2015 of 20th of May by Day Helsick on CanadianLiving.com. The little fairies I saw were about, I would say, the size of two-year-olds. The height. That height. Says nine-year-old. 97-year-old Mary Flynn of Otterbury, Newfoundland. When I came down the way, I saw a red bandana and it blew across the road. When I looked to see where it went, I saw two little fairies by a tree with bright red windbreakers and little peaked caps. Whether they're fairy stories, tales of the early summits, or other otherworldly yarns, Newfoundland's long-standing oral traditions have always been a powerful force. But it's the fairy stories in particular that are rife on the rock. Full of wonder and magic, yet anchored by the real world experiences of Newfoundlanders. Fairy folklore is a culinary import to the province as any historical building or artifact. The province's rich fairy folklore traditions originate from the Scottish, Irish, and English, who brought over their stories when they settled on Newfoundland in the 1600s. These fairies, also known, also come in all sizes, also known as the good people or the little people. Are not of the Tinkerbell variety. Creatures come in all sizes and have been glimpsed in the shape of children, adults, glowing lights, and even animals. They're mischievous and apt to entrance you, causing trouble and lead you astray, and they definitely don't have wings. The most of Newfoundland's fairies are described as troublemakers. It's somewhat surprising. The majority of fairies are not good fairies, says Barbara Reddy, who did a PhD thesis in folklore on the subject of fairies at Memorial University of Newfoundland in St. John's, Newfoundland, and later authored the book Strange Shrine, The Fairy World in Newfoundland. Yo, uh, Bob, will come on and talk? What's up? Uh, they play tricks and lead you over the edge of a cliff. They'll change people or get a fairy blast when they hit you. And then that stuff comes out of the wood wound, like sticks, balls of wool, and fish bones. Wounds dripping with balls of wool and fish bones, an obvious entertainment factor in these tales aside, fairy stories often held deeper meaning. To me, fairy stories had to do with knowing and not knowing, a very important element in the Newfoundland culture, said, says Rady. Because communities were small and isolated by interconnected, but interconnected, knowing someone, knowing who they are and where they came from was important. Fairy stories were just about fairy. They were about living through challenges and surviving, be it in the woods, on the water, or down the trail. Fairies aren't so much to be feared as they are to be respected, and where possible, avoid it, says Dale Jarvis, Intangible Culture Heritage Development Officer for the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Like Reddy, he believes fairy folklore is deeply connected to the natural world. In a sense, fairies are naturally 
a nature personified, says Jarvis. They're neither good nor bad. They don't follow human rules. Fairy stories are, in a way, how we talk about our interaction with unpredictability, unpredictability of nature. In many cases, the stories are about regular Newfoundlanders who have incredible things happen to them. Someone picking berries will hear fairy music, become a trance, and lose their way in the woods. Days later, they will turn home, not knowing what happened. If feeling mischievous, fairies might swap a baby for a changeling, a sleepy being not entirely human. Uh, fairies may join children for tea or on a beach, spirit a loved one away on a horse, or place a curse, making family member, making a family member mute. Fairies could even take away and drown them in the sea. Uh, much of the prophecies of fairy folklore exists at the point where the civilized world and nature intersect. These stories take place at the end of the garden, where people go to pick berries in the meadow, at the beach, or slightly away from the house in the border zone between the wild and the tame, says Jarvis. With a potential fairy rot disaster always near, there are nature's old charms the founders use for protection. Keeping bread in your pockets can ward off the fairies, or if you're in danger of being led astray, you can turn an article of clothing inside out, putting you back on the right path. It confuses the fairies and breaks their spell. Money is also a charm. Some local pin silver coins to their clothing or place coins inside baby carriers. Religious medals have the same effect. The tricky part, said Jarvis, is that for every story you hear and every rule about the fairies, there's another story that says the opposite. It seems that above all else, Newfoundland fairies are capricious. Capricious? I don't know. <coughs> uh, in days past, fairy stories may have been used uh, to keep children from wandering too far in the woods or into a forbidden area. An imaginative safety mechanism, if you will. A parent might say, don't go too far because the fairies might get you. Other times, fairy stories may have been used to cover or deny a violent incident, such as a beating or physical or mental illness. It would be common to hear the community member was away, was away with the fairies or touched by the fairies, whether to entertain, teach, keep children safe, or manage a difficult circumstance. Fairy talk has always been mingled with Newfoundlanders' more tangible cultural traditions. Fairy folklore is a particularly strong in the Conception Bay area of the Avalon Peninsula in Cupid's first English settlement in Canada. Fairy stories have had centuries to take root Cuba's Legacy Center, a museum that includes an archaeology field lab and fairy garden. It's committed to keeping fairy folklore alive and thriving in the community. Newfoundland isn't just about historical artifacts, says Peter Larcy. Larcy? Uh, the center's general manager. We've also... We're also about music, dance, poetry, language, and stories. It's the intangible traditions that reflect who we are and what we are. Larcy uh, firmly believes that the beginnings of a Newfoundland culture are based in oral storytelling, which he considers to be the most fundamental form of communication. It's a different level of connection. It's, there's trust between the storyteller and the audience, one with the, one in which those listening spend their normal concepts of the world and just believe. He finds that today Newfoundlanders are still drawn to the otherworldly and inexplicable. I think people want to let go of the fact that everything has to be explainable and inexplicable. I think people want to let go. 
because honestly, listening to, to listening to and telling fairy stories frees the mind and allows you to believe that anything is possible. There's a freedom of human expression. The captivating quality of fairy stories live most fully in actual telling. Larcy says, "A good fairy story and storyteller can evoke emotion such as fear, wonder, awe, sadness, and joy." Every year, Cupid's Legacy Centers hosts an evening that celebrates fairy culture on a rooftop garden, which is decorated with fairy sculptures. The crowd is entertained by a fairy play. Then the community's renowned storyteller, Mary Flynn, being one who has seen fairies on several occasions, tells dramatic fairy stories in a full, in a room full of community members and fairy enthusiasts who hang on every word. Many of the stories recount fairy sightings, strange silent happenings, or talk of fairy paths and fairy ground, the places Newfoundlanders avoid for fear of disturbing the fairies. In Exception Bay North area, there's an ancient fairy ring, a circle of 13 massive beech trees surrounding barren ground, where fairies have their meetings, of course. Legend has it that nothing will grow on fairy ground. It's a quiet, spooky place, ripe for otherworldly gatherings. Like the beech trees anchored on fairy ground, fairy folklore has been around for a while. Centuries even. Folklorists are often asked if the stories or traditions will eventually die out. Del Jarvis is adamant in his response. No, I think we're seeing a revival in fairy stories. People may not believe in them the same way they once did, but there's a growing understanding here in Newfoundland that this is a part of our culture, part of, of our tradition. Barbara Reddy is of the same mind. What has surprised me over time is that how persistently fairy stories have been. People will say that these traditions is receding, but fairy stories never really recede. Though fairy stories Newfoundlanders connect to history, to each other, and to nature, they all have a fairy story to tell, and it's one likely passed on from generation to generation. The stories themselves are full of delightful drama and a distinct cultural flavor that isn't found anywhere else in Canada. Even though the fairies might be, frankly, terrifying, every local enjoys connecting with an audience of one or a hundred, and it makes no difference. To share a tale, uh, what I love about fairy stories, says Jarvis, is that a real person has had this magical experience. These stories are just about survival, change, and resiliency. And who doesn't want to believe in magic? Ooh, it was pretty cute. Got the next one, last one, probably. The blob. The Foundland blob. The Newfoundland blob was a globster that washed up on St. Bernard's Fortune Bay, Newfoundland, on August 2nd, 2001. The specimen was 5 foot 6 long. Five feet and six inches long, feet long. An analysis tattoo showed that Newfoundland blob was a portion of a sperm whale corpse. And that's it. That's it, guys. Okay. I hope you have a good one and stuff. Oh, oh there is pizza. Bye. See ya. Adios. Have a good week.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Monster Legend Podcast. Hope you were able to find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We also have our own website at monsterlegendpodcast.com. If you'll be so kind to please leave a review and subscribe and let me know what I can do to make this show better for you. If you have any stories you'd like to submit or you'd like to be a guest, send me an email or a DM. But I hope you do one thing that's really important and have a great day. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.